So I'm going to make a little case for you, and then I'm going to have you respond to it. Okay? Last week, Jared talked about the fact that we all sin. Right? I said that uh, we read verse uh, chapter one. Uh, if you remember, we're in First John chapter one. In case you're not having been following along, and he had uh, he had taught from chapter one. And the whole thing, and uh, we're at verse uh, seven. No, actually, okay, yeah, we'll start at seven. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. Starting with verse eight, uh, continuing with verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth in it is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so, so that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, you're listening to the cadence in my voice, right? Because that's kind of a clue to what I'm going to get to. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. <clears throat> He's the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. I'm going to stop there for a second. I'm going to throw this out to you as a discussion about talk. If everyone has sinned, and if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, so we therefore have sin in our life. And if we say we have not sinned, John says, no, we have. Uh, we have, okay, we make him a liar if we say we haven't sinned. So we definitely, we all have sinned. We've all done things that are wrong against God. But if we confess our sins, he's faithful. He, that means he's doing it every time. And just, that means he's fair in, what, in doing it every time, okay? To forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And... If we do sin, we have Jesus on our side as an advocate, like a lawyer or somebody that speaks on our behalf to the Father, and, and he's, the, he's the sacrifice for our sins. So with all that said, if we have all of sin, why make a fuss about it? What is the use of struggling against something that, which is in any event an inevitable part of our situation. Why do we struggle against something and why worry about something if we have all this going for us? That's the question. Are you looking for an inspiration? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Turning the whole teaching model on its head, we're going to start with a little bit of discussion here. I think like partially it's to acknowledge that we're sinners and that we need a savior that we that we have like there's a reason for Jesus versus just like it's to acknowledge that we are in need of a savior to acknowledge that we need a savior okay we understand we need a savior I'm gonna just say that we have something that we need to be saved from I'm gonna be the devil with you for a second okay <laughs> devil's advocate oh yeah oh, I'm not gonna be the devil sorry <laughs> I'm going to say, well, why struggle against it? We're all going to do it, and Jesus has got to take care of it. Why, what? 
why bother struggling and fighting when not to sin? Because it's not God's will for us. But God's original plan, like we were made in his image, and then in the garden, like Satan interfered, and so we're striving to be not like our flesh, but to be more like Christ. Okay, so it's not God's plan for us. Okay, I kind of get what you're saying. Anybody else? It talks about the wages of sin is death, and then on the flip side of that, it is for freedom you've been set free. So the reason we, the reason, there's a reason behind it, not just sin leads to death. So it's not like, well, I'm just going to sin because I know I'll, I'll be forgiven or, um, yeah. Uh, I didn't hear the conclusion of that. <laughs> so I don't know if there was one. <laughs> <laughs> Sin has consequences that leads to death. And it also said, the rest of the Bible talks, like it also talks about, if you love me, you will obey my commands. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of other so the, uh, there's other stuff that speaks to sin. Yeah. Okay, well, that's a good, that's a good answer. Like and it leads to life. Yeah. Like, it's not, you know, it protects us from death, but it's life-giving to not sin. Life-giving to not for sin. Us. Yeah. I like that. God gives us strength to not sin as well. Mm-hmm. So even though we are sinners, mm-hmm. um, we don't have to rest in that and be like, well, I'm a sinner, so I'm just going to sin. Like, God, we can pray about that, and God can can give us strength to turn away from that. Yeah. Okay, but why do we want to turn away from it? Why do we want to? Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with, with what, you know, Clayton was saying that, um, you know, we want to honor God in that, and, and God... God does call us to that. Right. Okay. I think we're all on the right track. I think we're all seeing the right thing. Does anybody else have a, some insight into this? I think that it's because we want to have a relationship. And you can't have a relationship if you're always hurting somebody else. If you're always hurting God, your relationship isn't going to be very strong. Oh, that's a good one. Relationship. I like that. I think these are all great answers, and I think they're all right. And so I just wanted to kind of get our minds working a little bit because where we're actually starting today, Jared had finished uh, 2-2 where it says he's the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the world. So there's this forgiveness, this atonement that Jesus made. Propitiation means... uh, Without getting too far into it, it means that the blood that was offered for the sin that we commit. And Jesus is the blood, Jesus' blood was offered for the sin that we committed. But it, it's it's available to everyone. And so we got there. And then we get to verse 3, which is kind of where we're starting today, today. And it says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. So there's a, there's a couple things in here that we need to look at. Before we go any further into all this stuff that I got up here about people that say, I, I want to kind of think, us to think about this is the first time we look at this, it looks a little bit 
judgmental, or it looks a little bit uh, like, how, how would I put it? It's a little bit uh, strict. It comes off strict if we, if we just read it as, um, you know, all these different things. If we say we've come to know him and we, and we don't keep his commands, and then we're a liar, and it seems really harsh and harsh and drawing really strict lines. And it is, in, in one sense. But I want us to get the phrasing that he's saying and look at the look at the tone. He's saying in verse chapter two, verse one, my little children. And then he says in the latter part of the verse, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He is the propitiation for our sins, not for ours only, sins of the whole world. By this we we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. You following me when I'm going through there? Mm -hmm. He's talking about we the whole time. Our sins. We. Those of us in the church. Those of us who have trusted in Jesus and believed in Jesus and have had this sin issue dealt with because we've seen the need for it. That's what brings us into this we and us and our. And and so he says, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And he's saying, by this we, this is how we know we have come to know him. This is how we recognize that we really have come to know him. And the word for coming to know him refers to a completed action, something that's already happened. We have come to know Jesus Christ if we are keeping his commandments. And he's giving them this, this assurance. He's saying, this is how we know we have come to know Jesus, if we're doing what Jesus told us to do. Kind of like a simple obedience. And so when we look, when you think about it that way, he's kind of reassuring them more than he is reassuring the we, those of us in this body, those of us who have trusted in Jesus. He's reassuring them Yes, we have come to know him. Our actions and motives are assurances of our relationship with God and therefore our salvation. This word keep, okay, talking about the commandments. Verse uh, 3, if we keep his commandments, that word keep comes from a word that means a warden or one who guard, guards, one who keeps an eye on, who therefore obeys. It literally means watch, guard, or keep safe as a precious thing. <coughs> so that, that word, that this verse is saying, we look at the commandments of Jesus, and we look at them as precious. We look at this, them as important. We look at them as something to keep safe, to keep close to us. You following that? You think of the Lord of the Rings guy, the, the little character with the big eyes. What's his name? Gollum. 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 He's really, really into that rank. Right? <laughs> it's his precious. I'm not going to imitate him, but, but he says, he calls it my precious, right? And, and when that ring falls down into the, you know, wherever it falls, I can't remember the movie that well, but I know it falls down at one point. 
and his eyes grow big and he's and he's so concerned about losing that ring and it's so precious to him and he, you know you see this animated um, illustration of something that's so precious right well uh, that's kind of what what this is saying is that the commandments of God if we are looking at that, looking at them that way we know that we have come to know him if we keep those commandments if we guard them as precious so in the present tense we can know that we have come to know him in the past if we keep his commandments this is what uh, chapter 3 is saying verse 3 is saying now verse 4 says whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him but whoever keeps his word in him truly the love of God is perfected by this we know that we know by this we may know that we are in him now I want to point out something I'm trying to get some background on this because um, he's going from this point of saying we are us this is ours this is what we know to someone who said whoever says so this phrase whoever says is several times in in the uh, in the passage here that we're looking at and this one is verse 4 whoever says I know him but does not keep keep his commandments as a liar now so it, it's kind of a I think the, to get the background of this, it gives us some insight to what John is kind of referring to. He's kind of referring to people that are teaching falsely. And he, while he doesn't really come out and say it so much in this passage, we can kind of understand from the words he's using and uh, the, the situation at that time, what was going on. And Jared referred to it last week. We talk, He talked about the Gnostics. And Gnostic is where we get the word um, knowledge. Uh, same root word in Greek is Gnostic and basically they believed that if you got really enlightened if you got the spiritual experience and you got very enlightened and got to some great spiritual plane or some, some level that that was how you got to know God okay just to give you a little background on Gnostic system According to the Gnostics, matter is evil, but deliverance from the material form was attainable only by special knowledge that were, was revealed by these special teachers, these special Gnostic teachers. So we're going to give you special knowledge, special way to get in touch with God, apart from doing anything specific, apart from, from following the Word of God. They considered themselves superior to, to the average Christian. The body, they believed that uh, the body and the soul that the man has in his earthly existence was evil. But in, in, inside that soul was this little spark of a divine substance. And this was needing to be awakened. And if you awaken this through, through their mystical experiences, you would be liberated to know that your body's evil, but you and your spirit are kind of separated from that, okay? The Gnostics thought that one must directly experience the spirit to learn the truth, this being apart from the word of God, from the written word. 
in the supernatural, experience becomes the teacher and gives them real knowledge of God, real experiential knowledge of God. And they believe that Jesus Christ was the divine redeemer who descended from the spiritual realm to reveal this knowledge necessary for this type of uh, enlightenment. But it's very, it's very important to understand, they believe that Jesus only had this. They didn't believe it came through the apostles and the apostles' teaching. And that was very key to know. They kind of, uh, some of them believe it came through Judas, and some through Thomas, and some through Mary Magdalene. So you have these, these false gospels that came out at that time that were supposedly a better system of understanding what Jesus was all about than the actual apostles that wrote the Bible. That's kind of a, a summation of that. But as we hear that, and I just want to throw this out for a second. As we hear this, this idea of directly experiencing God in the spirit, enlightenment, kind of getting this mystical experience with God through special knowledge by special teachers, does that have any parallels in our life? In our situation today? You mean like us personally or even world? Just in the world of, of teaching. Really, yeah. yeah, metaphysics. Uh, so like that whole belief philosophy or whatever uh, kind of stems from that. Mm -hmm. um, I also had an encounter with a dude in, uh, in Zuma Beach and he talked a lot about some teacher he met on this trip to the middle of nowhere that, that disappeared in thin air and all of these realms of Photons and protons and crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's, that's a fair What about in the Christian community? Do we see anything like this or thought like this? Yeah, I think I think there's like kind of like there's cult leaders, but then there's also like Christian leaders that like have received a special like word of knowledge from God or whatever, uh -huh. and like you have to like go through them like you like sow a seed of hundred dollars I'll pray for you and you know like it's only through them that you can get whatever blessing from God versus having direct access to God which was the point of Jesus like you didn't need the priest to go be a mediator between us yeah I think what you're saying there about that person being the conduit to that experience or that the knowledge of God, that special knowledge. And also, there's another parallel there in that they bypass the word, and it's more about the spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. uh, I think we can think of things like that in our life. Any, anybody else? Anybody parallel things in our experience where people kind of want to bypass the word? Yeah, I mean, I think. I don't know, being in New York, we saw. We have a lot of friends that are actors, um, and actors are definitely drawn to more emotional type of experiences. And so we had a lot of friends that they didn't necessarily have a mature understanding of the word, and they didn't really um, understand the value of spending time in the word. But they were very into emotional Christian experiences. Mm -hmm. um, so, like, basically, like summer camp highs. Um, so, they were drawn 
to situations where they could get that. And um, it was about reaching this emotionally spiritual place with God. And that was kind of the source. That is how they got fed. Pretty much, that's the only way they were mm -hmm. fed. Right. Um, and yes. I think worship is important. That is an important way to be fed. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it should be the only way. And so um, we've come across that quite a bit, where it's like I, I want these experiences, and that is what my faith kind of mm -hmm. relies upon. So we can kind of see some connection there. Oh, I think we could all go and find a few more things. Did you want to say something? No. <laughs> okay, I know we could probably go on with that a little bit more, trying to connect that to our, our experience and you know what's out there in the, in the New Age movement and the, you know the different types of Christianity that kind of want to bypass knowledge and study of the Bible. And um, but John is is kind of saying here, uh, somebody can can somebody read John fourteen. Uh, 21. For John 14? No, the oh, Gospel of John 14. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Okay, I like that. Manifest. Okay, Jesus says... The person who has my commandments, so we have them in, in written form and in, in the church taught to us, okay, and obeys them, is the one who loves me, and the one who loves me will be loved my, by my Father, and I will love him, and will reveal or manifest or disclose myself to him. The knowledge of Jesus, Jesus will reveal himself to us as we follow his commands. I think that that's a great, uh, this is kind of what John is getting to. And he's kind of saying, here's this guy that says, I know God, but he's not following the command of Jesus. I want to reassure you that if we, we can know that we have come to know him if we follow his commands. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? Okay. So John points out that the inevitable accompaniment of real knowledge of God is obedience to Christ. This is not so much, if you're a Christian, you better not be sinning. That's not what John is necessarily saying here. As much as it is, if you're following the commands of Christ, you can be reassured that you know him. You don't need to worry about the mystical experiences that these guys are offering or needing some experience needing some special enlightenment in your mind or your spirit. I mean, obviously, the Holy Spirit does that in us, but having some mystical experience through a special conduit is not necessary, is what he's saying. And so this guy coming around saying, I know him, and he doesn't follow the commands of Jesus, is a liar. And he, he doesn't waste his uh, <laughs> words on that, okay? You know that you know Jesus. So that brings up the question, do we, have we ever questioned our faith 
because we didn't have some mystical, profound emotional experience. Mm -hmm. Has anybody ever felt that way? Yeah. Yeah, I remember like growing up, um, like I was taught, and I was taught or I just believed that, like if you didn't have like the gift of speaking in tongues, like I was taught that was like evidence of you being saved, mm -hmm. and that like, if you didn't have that, then you were just um, deceived or. Oh, you didn't have. Yeah, like I like yeah, like at ten or thirteen, whatever. Like mm -hmm. I couldn't speak in tongues, and like I believed. I was taught that like if you didn't have that gift, then you were mm -hmm. saved. Mm -hmm. So like I thought that like it was like evidence of being a Christian. So how do we think that John is is speaking to that here? to that kind of thought, I should finish that question, that, that we need some specific experience of some kind. Because I know that there are people, and myself included, I think when I was younger, back in, in my college days, I remember thinking, I never had any great big knockdown emotional manifestation of God, you know? I, never felt it. I mean, I was, I felt good about hearing the word of God. I felt good about being saved, but there wasn't this thing that happened. And that's the thing, well, am I missing something? And I, I think that, I believe that John is trying to reassure these people that this person saying these things, I know God, follow after me, in what I say, because I have this way of knowing God that's outside of your system of reading the Bible and, and listening and obeying Jesus. I think it's like, for those of you who are married, for instance, like, you know like, what your relationship with your spouse is like. You don't need like these grand big gestures mm -hmm. for them to prove that they love you mm -hmm. and so it's the same with God that like we for in his word we know him we don't need you know like signs from him we don't need like a lightning bolt to like strike every time to mm -hmm. say like I love you or you know <laughs> you're saved or like whatever it is like we don't need to oddly like hear his voice to like reassure us because we have his voice in the word. I'd also like not minimalize keeping his commitments. Like for myself I have a similar walk where it wasn't this grand thing that I can point back to and remember I was saved that day. It was the act of lordship in my life and like seeing myself keep his commandments one being like celibacy and I'm like Knowing myself before Christ, is that would have been a no-go. Knowing myself afterwards, that in itself is a big transformation. You know, that's evidence in itself. It didn't need to be a lightning bolt that I can actually remember. It's like, that is that is huge. And you have joy in doing it. Yeah. It's not like, like I would be grudging. Well, I, I love like it, but. <laughs> but you love it. <laughs> it's like, I like it. But, you know, it's yeah. not it's a big, it's, you know, I'm content. Um, that is that is huge, and I think that I think what John is 
pointing to for the people to take that time to like self-evaluate, like think about what it takes to keep these commandments mm-hmm. and how you are doing it. That's how you know he's there. He's mm-hmm. with you and you know him because right. you don't have to do these things. And I think kind of what John is doing through this is making a relationship with Jesus accessible mm-hmm. to these people. Yeah. And it's not like, um, I mean, kind of what you're talking about where someone is like, I have this new revelation. It reminds me a lot of like Mormonism, kind of. Like, so we have, we still have that going on a lot, but what's incredible about Christianity is that we can have a personal relationship with God and it doesn't mean that you have to be on this like you don't have to be this extraordinary person spiritually or status or anything like that Jesus is accessible to us and if you're keeping his commands that means you know like he's kind of like let's just simplify this and and it's not it's not just for the elites. It reminds me of when we talked to Jared and Mary Beth about how like the the model of this church is with the long what's the big thing? Display. <laughs> how most churches are making it behave. Are you not paying attention? Yeah, it's like I don't remember what these we use, but believe most people it's behave. believe, behave, belong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like usually people get saved then they learn all about Christianity and then they participate in Christianity versus for some it's you kind of participate with Christians and you learn about Jesus and you believe at some point into that like, yeah. and I feel like that's what John is doing is making it accessible and practical it's not like this special thing where you have to go on this retreat every year and, and encounter God in this way in order to keep your Christianity. I got you. Yeah. So, moving up, verse 4 says that this person who says, I know him, but doesn't keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. The love of God being perfected, and to save us some time, I'm going to kind of point out what that means, that the love of God is perfected. And I don't like doing this too, too often, because we're going to understand it by jumping ahead a little bit. But go to uh, 321, 1 John 321. And it says, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. Am I in the right? I'm not in the right one. That's not 321. That's 221. 321 says, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from Him because we keep His commandments. I don't think that's the right one here. Confidence. Oh yeah, confidence in our salvation. Confidence before God. If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. So it's talking about our heart, having confidence before God. And then in 417, go down to 417. 
Okay? It says, by this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, but whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So basically, without going too far to that verse, this idea of perfected is this confidence that we have that we are not going to be judged by God for the sin because we have trusted in Jesus. Does that make sense? So the person that this love is perfected, going back to our verse in verse 5, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. No, that's uh, but whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. So the love of God is perfected when the fear is gone. The fear of punishment. But we have this confidence before God be, that we know that our life is right. And so in keeping his word, kind of like what Jessica was referring to there about the difference. When she knows that she has followed Christ and this has made a change in her life. And as time goes on, this confidence grows that we have been saved by the grace of Jesus Christ. And the love of God being perfected is getting to that place of confidence and assurance that we have salvation. <clears throat> by this we may know that we are in Him. So, getting to that, so we have this... Uh, the knowledge that the way we know that we are believers is that we sense this responsibility. We sense the calling. We sense the awesomeness of God. And we sense the fact that we must obey. That's kind of what John is saying. He's kind of saying, if we uh, keep his commandments, we have the sense that we are in Christ. We have a knowledge, a confidence. And then it, verse, verse 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Now this word abides, it indicates a close, intimate, and permanent relationship between the believer and God. It implies a, a condition that lasts without intermission and without end. That's it's kind of the same word means kind of staying in or staying with residing, those are all synonyms of that word. So if we're staying in Christ, okay, we ought to walk in the same way Jesus walked, in which he walked. Now, that word ought is a word that um, implies a, um, an obligation. It, it, it implies a sense that we having us that we are obligated to follow what has been told to us to do. A Christian cannot live habitually in sin and never sense this obligation to obey Christ. Mm -hmm. That's what John is saying. Mm -hmm. you, if you're continually in sin, then you are going to have a, a sense about you that says, I should live a different way. That's the test. And so John is saying to them, if you've in your heart passed that test, that you have changed your relationship to sin and how you think about it, 
then you can know you have a union with Christ. You have this, this sense of uh, duty to follow after Jesus Christ. John's point is that the only way we can show that we know God is by obedience to Him. And the only way we can show we have union with Christ is by imitating Him, walking as He walked, living as He lived. So, I think that it's also, it's a, it's also saying, uh, he's still in the whoever, right? Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk as Jesus walked. So he's still with these people that say stuff, okay? He's still kind of getting to these false teachers that say, I abide in Christ. I live right in there with God. I'm with God all the time. God is in me. And I listen to me. And and John is saying, if whoever says that, he's still somebody outside of that, right? He should be walking as Jesus walked. And if he's not walking as Jesus walked, you don't need to listen to him. That's kind of what he's saying because he's already said that we can know that we know are in him if we keep his commandments, right? Back in verse 3. So, again, he's not necessarily addressing them as believers and saying, wagging the finger and saying, you should do this. He's saying, if someone says, I'm living in Jesus, they ought to walk as Jesus walked. And if they're not, they're not people to be listened to. Do we kind of get the difference, the subtle difference there? Because I think that sometimes we can feel this as condemning it and really, uh, uh, <laughs> I don't even have a word for that. Just watch it on TV. <laughs> you know, ready to pounce, you know, kind of thing. But he's not writing to, about them necessarily as believers. He's writing about people that say they abide in Christ, but they should walk as Jesus walked. Okay? And that's, that's kind of why I put this, this up here. This whoever says thing is kind of pointing out the teachers or the people saying things that they know Christ, they abide in Christ, or walk in, uh, walk in the light. That there's a difference because we know that we are doing it. Are you following me? Can I make sure I'm understanding? Okay, so these whoever's... Yeah. Um, are these like different sets of whoever's? It's it's anybody, I guess. But in, I think he's. I think we can see as we go further into the book of First John that he begins to talk more openly about false teachers. I was telling Jared this earlier. It seems like the God, the, the Epistle of John, kind of goes in a circle. He talks about one thing, he goes on to something else, and then he talks about that, and he enlarges on that thing again. So as we go on, you'll find out that he's talking about false teachers that don't believe that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, uh, hate, you know, hate and uh, different things about these false teachers that he's, he's coming against. He's reassuring the church that if we walk as Jesus walked, then we'll be, it, we, we can know that we are in him. You see, that's in verse 3 and verse 5. So... When he's saying these whoever says, these people that say or claim these different things, I abide in him. Well, if they abide in Jesus, they will walk as Jesus walked. Like we do, is kind of what he's saying. Like, uh, 
It's cool because he could just speak to like the specific, like, you know, Martin is saying these things and Martin's a bad dude and Martin whatever, but like, this is a litmus test that we can use for teachers. Forever. And yeah, for forever. And he's not judging the, the leaders necessarily or the teachers. He's saying like the proof, the proof is in the pudding. Mm -hmm. And this is how you take care of you yeah. and you make good decisions <laughs> instead of like. Check. Yeah a heart check for each person without like condemning them but also empowering the listeners to be able to like check yourself and also check who you're listening to and then the others to be like check what you're saying too um, I think there's a good part of I think there's a good part because one of the things he is saying in verse 3 is that <laughs> we know that we've come to know him if we keep us commandments and then he's talking about people saying and as we'll get to the next part about loving. And I need to kind of move on so we don't take too long. Verse 7, Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment. Wait away, Mary Beth. Did I kind of? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Um, I thought this was important. I don't know if this is important to you. Uh, as much as it is to me as in reassuring my faith in the Word of God. But when John, this is written that toward the end of the first century, maybe they say right around 95 AD, Jesus had said most of what he said in the book of John back in about 30 to 33 AD, somewhere there, okay? So this is a good 60 to 65 years after Jesus walked on the earth that John is writing this. So when he says, I'm not giving you a new command, he's saying, I'm not giving you anything new that you haven't heard already that Jesus hadn't already spoke back in 30 AD. So he's saying an old command, when he's referring to the old commandment, he's referring to the old commandment that Jesus said to love one another. And we'll get to that in a second. He says, you've already heard this, but I, he's re-emphasizing it. And he's not giving a new revelation at this point. I find that interesting because at that point, the gospel was settled. It was, he was, what had, what, what was been revealed through the apostles, through Christ, and the apostle Paul, and Peter, and John, and James, they had basically got to it already. So John is saying, I got nothing new for you. I'm going to refer you back to what Jesus said way back here. And in John 13, 34 and 35, can somebody read that? The Gospel of John, verse, chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. This is the old commandment, the old new commandment <laughs> that he's referring to. Oh, 35? 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Beautiful. There's an interesting thing about that commandment. Uh, maybe we should go there just for a second. Okay, to John 13. If you didn't, if you didn't turn there, let's just turn there for a second, because I want to show you something very interesting. 
In John 13, Jesus basically says, I'm going to be going away. And where I'm going, you can't come. In verse uh, 33, he says, Little children, yet a little while, while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I'm going, you can't come. So, then he says, a new, a, now I'm going to give you a new commandment. He says, I'm going to be leaving you, and where, you, where I'm going, and he's talking about his return to heaven, okay? Where I'm going, you can't come. And then he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, so you are also to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. And you notice what the disciples did at that point? They didn't say, oh, okay, Jesus, we'll, we'll love each other. We'll be compassionate. We'll, I hear you, I hear you. No, what did they do? Where are you going? <laughs> they, they just kind of like ignored that, right? And I find that kind of interesting that Peter right away says, Lord, where are you going? And uh, then we have the passage in John 14 about Jesus going to his father's house to, to, to prepare a place for them where he'd come again for them, right? But uh, but this whole thing seems to have been missed. It was just kind of the, one of the last things Jesus says. And so John is going back to me. There was this commandment that Jesus gave at the beginning. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna improve on that. I'm not gonna expand on that. It's the same one. And if you go to 2 John, now, we're in 1 John 2. So we're, we have, we're, since we're not covering 2 John, that's the next little book following 1 John. So if you just kind of go a couple pages over from 1 John 2, you'll find 2 John, okay? And verse 5, he's writing to a, uh, a woman uh, in a church, and he says, And now I ask you, dear lady, Lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we had, have had from the beginning, that we love one another. Okay? So, again, he's kind of pointing out this. This is the commandment. You love one another. Okay? It's an old commandment that you had from the beginning. And from the beginning, in this context, is talking about from the time when Jesus was on the earth. And they began to believe in Christ. And then he says, verse uh, 8, at the same time it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. He's, um, I'm not sure. Hang on. This part about the light is increasing and the darkness is passing away is the fact that the truth was coming to them. And he's again encouraging them because they are doing this. It says it's true in Jesus. What Jesus said it was true. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And by this, I mean, if you love me, you will love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. He's, John is saying that's already coming true. And that light that's coming on, that, that revelation, and that light that's coming on the church is happening. It's already starting to shine. And 
He's happy about that, okay? So he's saying, he's reminding them of this commandment that Jesus gave, okay? There's, and he's saying, okay, this is coming on you. The darkness is passing away. In other words, uh, the knowledge, uh, ignorance and the evil is passing away because we are loving one another and we're operating in truth, right? But he's kind of saying at the same time that there's no spiritual progression or enlightenment in getting a lot of knowledge that doesn't result in love for our brother, okay? Because he goes on to say, verse 9, whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. John is saying that a measure of our walk with God and our walking in the light is our love for other believers. I'm going to throw this question out here as we look at this. Have you ever heard somebody say, I'm cool with Jesus, but I have a huge problem with the church. Mm -hmm. What is John saying to that? It can't be. He's saying it can't be, right? Loving Jesus, like we found out back in verse, uh, the first few verses where it says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, we walk in darkness. We lie and do not do the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with each other. And this is kind of coming around to that again. It's saying, whoever says he's in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. In other words, he never ever came out. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there's no cause, in him there's no cause for stumbling. And that just, I believe in this context, that stumbling means he's not stumbling around in the dark not knowing what to do. Okay? He's knowing where he's going. Because it says whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and doesn't know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Or he's blinded by the darkness. So, I want us to look, point out one thing is that he's contrasting the darkness passing away, verse 8, okay? Back in verse 8 it says, I'm writing to you, at the same time it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and you, because the darkness is passing away. You are coming into the light. You are following after Jesus, you're coming into the light. And the true light is already shining. Now, what is the true light? This is one of those easy answer questions. God. Jesus. Right? If you look at John 1 night, John 1 night, the Gospel of John 1 night, it says that he is the true light that is coming to the world. So when John, when John refers to the true light, he's saying, Jesus is shining in your life. Okay? So he's saying the darkness is passing away because Jesus is in your life. Okay? And then he says about the one who hates his brother is still in darkness. Okay? Whoever loves his brother lives in the light. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in darkness, and is blinded by the darkness. Pretty sad situation. 
And as I was uh, thinking about this today, maybe I'll ask this as a question. How serious an issue is this loving our brother thing to John? It's serious. Yeah. <laughs> it's huge, isn't it? It's important. It's almost like it's a measure of truth. Mm-hmm. Are we seeing that? I mean, I, I, I was convicted of that. I was like, man, that is really... John is really getting to a, a thing here about loving our brothers in Christ. If we hate, and, and there's people that show hatred by putting down or, or uh, kind of an animosity or an uncaringness, uh, which is considered hate, indifference, can be, you know, with John it's love or hate, and if and Jesus said, whoever's not with me is against me. So he's like, there's a, there's kind of a, if you're not going this way, you're going that way. The thing about what John is saying here. So he says, whoever hates his brother is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, doesn't know where he's going because the darkness is blinding his eyes. And. Uh, so that's basically, you know, we have these three different things here about these people that say they're in the light but hate their brother, they're still in darkness. And so John is pretty clear about these different things, about it knowing him, we obey him, living, abiding in him, staying with him, we're, we're becoming more like Jesus. And if we're in the light, we're loving our brother. And he's saying, if someone's doing that and they're not doing these things, we can be assured that if we are following the commandments of Christ, that we're in him. And he gets to more assurances later on in the book, but we'll get to that at a future time. But I just thought, you know, my uh, takeaway from this personally was just, this is a much bigger deal than we sometimes make it out to be. Think of it as the last thing Jesus said to his disciples. One of the last things he said. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. And by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one one for each other. The converse of that is what? The opposite of all men knowing that you are my disciples. It's a simple point. Think, but I want us to say it out loud. <clears throat> Other people won't know it. All men will not know that we're followers of Christ if we don't have love for each other. That was a big deal. Any questions, any thoughts before we how do you define a brother? Okay. Brother, I think in well, this what I mean by that is because obviously a lot of people profess Christ mm-hmm. to have their faith in Christ but like you know you were talking about the different types of gospels that are out there mm-hmm. um, she, she mentioned the emotional thing mm-hmm. and you got maybe something like the prosperity gospel which is huge too for also into materialism but that is the cases that have struggled with seeing someone leading 
group of people down a certain path. And it, it's just naturally there's going to be an indignation to that because it's, and if maybe if you try to discuss it with them, it's like, well, God is telling me this. It's, you know, how do you kind of get around that? That someone is saying God is telling almost, me this. Almost kind of like, is that, that, at, that, at that point, would that be my brother? Do I, see, I think this, when he steps out of we and us, like yeah. you said before, and he said, this person, whoever, doesn't matter who it is, this person outside of us, seemingly what he's referring to, who says, I know him, doesn't obey, that abides in him, doesn't imitate Jesus at right. all, and is, says he's in the light, but hates his brother. Mm. That's a measure of that. But I think one of the things that maybe we could, that would maybe throw some light on this, is to go to Third John. Okay. What? Yeah. <laughs> third? Because this is this is a this is a concrete example of somebody who John is referring to that is kind of kind of hating on John. Okay. Look at it. Third John. We there? Verse nine. I have written something to the church. So John has written something to the church. But Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. The, the actual word there is, does not receive us or accept us. Uh, and it's kind of taken out to mean, doesn't acknowledge our authority as apostles. But basically, this guy was not accepting the letter that John had written and them as people, okay? He was hating on them, right? So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to, want to and puts them out of the church. Now here's a good example of a guy that's hating, who's claiming, okay, he says he likes to put himself first. He likes to be up in front. He likes to be in charge. He likes to have people listening to him. But he's not acknowledging the apostles, right? Or he's not acknowledging John and his companions who, who are definitely brothers and are actually the leaders of the church, okay? And so he says, when I come, I'm going to bring up what he's doing always talking wickedness and nonsense and saying bad things about us. And he says, not only that, he refuses to welcome other people that are brothers into that church. Stops those who want to put them out of the church. And so, he says about this guy, brothers, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And I think he's referring to this guy. He's referring to this guy that's not accepting of the true gospel. And I think our way of seeing that now is to just kind of look at what these apostles have written down for us, what what they've given to us, and know that it's truth. And if somebody's not blatantly not following that, we can say, hey, that's not a brother. And I think that that's our only way of knowing that, I know. Because the only the only lifeline we have, the only source we have is the doctrine of the apostles as outlined in in the gospels and in the epistles and the letters of Paul and John and Peter. So I think that 
um, we can we, we can say when somebody's doing something like this and rejecting people that are in Christ, obviously in Christ, like John, of course he's in Christ, obviously teaching the truth, obviously has the authority from from God because because Jesus said back in in John 15 that he was going to remind the disciples of the, all the things he said and he would lead them into all truth. So we can be confident that this is truth and if people don't don't come in line with what this is said, then I think that we can we can say that's probably not a brother. Because generally they're probably going to be exhibiting something here. I, I, I was also challenged by this passage in my NLT Bible, it's the, the bigger one I have commentary, so I use it in the morning. It actually said Christian brothers and sisters, and re-looking at it a long time ago, I crossed out Christian. Um, just because I not having the clarity that I had this morning, it was like, whoa, this has create, being like, I, I read the Bible sometimes, and I'm like, Lord, I'm a black female. I've seen how people have misused things in the word mm -hmm. to oppress others. Mm -hmm. And so I was a little offended and we had to talk with the Holy Spirit this morning. Anyway, <laughs> um, I came to one of the bigger conclusions that he led was, to John 17 when he repeats his commandment but he's praying it to the Father, mm -hmm. um, the new commandment to the disciples and I'm always convicted about that because I sometimes go back to um, mm -hmm. to fight just the spirit of dissension among believers yeah. um, and so I was just, one of the last things he kind of just says to me was like the beauty and power in our unity mm -hmm. will always cast out the perversion of others misusing that and mm -hmm. I was just like you know, so I may not be able to put my. So is that is that kind of a transliteration yeah, of Yeah, that was 17? just what I wrote. Oh, that, what you wrote. Yeah, that's just what I wrote after John seventeen. And so, like for me to be able to do life with you guys, or to constantly having to think through, like, are they my brother, sister, whatever context that means, I have to put my trust in Him, and mm -hmm. that I can do. Mm -hmm. And so, in that, I'm able to like, hey, I love you until you don't line up with mm -hmm. that light stuff and, and evilness, you know. Um, and so that's kind of where I feel that and, try, and taking that responsibility off myself to determine whether or not they're my brother or sister. It's like, uh, yeah, I just trust you I, I'm going to love until I, I can't. I have a question. Um, because the Lord does call us to love people whether or not they are our brother or sister in Christ. So, I mean, I understand that you know, this letter is written for specific, for specific people, but like, why is there this emphasis on loving your brother mm -hmm. as opposed to just loving people in general? Well, John 17 specifically said that our love for each other will witness to others that he was sent mm -hmm. from the Father. So mm -hmm. that's like, that was just my, that's yeah. my family. Because of the witness. Yeah, part. that witnessing part. And so that's why I'm usually convicted by, like, I don't want to be the person, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Nice. <laughs> well, it so. also sounds quite easy to do because if you're doing those things in the list, and I am, we're not really going to bother each other. Really. Right. It's just we're going to be having a good time. So it doesn't. It still seems like there's a connotation of a challenge in that. Right. that you should love each other through that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I, I, feel, I, I don't think it's. It, it, though I'm looking at that, it feels like. If we all were doing that, we wouldn't have issues. Yeah, no, I think that's what he's saying. Uh, I think he gets to that later on, like also right here. 
whoever loves his brother abides in the light. Mm-hmm. You are in the light if you're doing this. Right. And so I think there's a positive enforcement, reinforcement of, of that reassurance in our lives that if we're doing this, we're loving our brother, we know, we can know. Yeah. And I think that that's... Uh, it reminds me of like the family unit. I was talking to my cousin like a year ago, and Clayton and I were talking with her about how our hope is that within our family unit, we love each other first and then our children, and then our children will see our love <coughs> as an example instead of us elevating our children mm-hmm. above our <coughs> spouse. Or I even think of like... If you're dating someone and you go and you visit their family and who you're dating is like awful to their family members, mm-hmm. it's a reflection. You know, mm-hmm. even though you know they love you, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, wait, but these are the people they're family with. Mm-hmm. And they're not acting wow. in love towards them. So then maybe this love that they have for me is temporary or it isn't real. Um, and because I think when it's like talking about brothers, it's like this is the evidence because this is your family, mm-hmm. you know. Like mm-hmm. if you're loving your family, you're going to be able to love others. And it doesn't mm-hmm. mean, like just because Clayton and I love each other first and then our children doesn't mean that we don't love, that, we, that we're not going to love our children, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and so when I think of it, that's how I think of it. It's like... That those can sometimes be the hardest people to love. Loving them, it's an example for the rest of the world. Well, and I would just say too to use the kind of go along with John's pattern of thought. He's saying whoever says these things, and he's kind of giving a little bit of like speaking of those who, in a few verses, are going to say those who have gone out from us and these Mm -hmm. false teachers Mm -hmm. and Antichrist and whatever. he's kind of using it as an evaluation for them. Well, if they're not keeping his commandments, then they're a liar, they're not in it, they're not working in life. If they're hating their brothers, then they're not they're not of us, they're not walking in the light, they're not in him, all these different ways we can say that. So it's, it's not necessarily, I mean, yes, it's a self-evaluation, and yes, it's a command to us still, we should love our brothers, we should also love our enemies, like Jesus says. Um, but it's, it seems like in this context of the whoever says this and whoever does this, so if that's not, if that doesn't line up with what Jesus teaches, his commands and how he teaches love, then that person may not be, um, may not be walking the light. Does that make sense? It's, mm-hmm. it's not like, oh, you can choose as a, as a believer whether you love brothers or non-brothers or who you hate or whatever. They say, well, certainly if they're hating, then they're not, um, in the light, or they're, mm-hmm. they're deceiving themselves, or in the darkness, how he says it. Mm-hmm. I hear that. Any other thoughts? I was kind of just thinking about this, because the translation I have says brothers and sisters, mm-hmm. and then there's like a little notation that says the Greek word that they're using is relating to believers whether they're male or female and I think it's kind of cool that he's saying like well it's a generic term yeah but it's like like kind of in context where he's writing to this church saying like look if there's chaos among you Mm -hmm. in your church like how can you be a representation of Christ to the rest of the world Mm -hmm. he's like so 
Jesus's command was to love everyone. But he's like, so it's like I'm not changing that, but I'm letting you guys know, like, love one another, like, in your church, mm-hmm. because that's how, like, if. Unless we're loving each other in this setting, it's like we can't be that representation of Christ to the rest of the world that may not believe. Right. That's I just thought that was cool. And I think that a lot, I think that that term that you used, that little phrase that you used earlier, that people say a lot that they are good with Jesus, they don't like the church. I think that that is a big reason why people say that. I think that they come mm-hmm. into settings and they don't see this being applied. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so even though. John is saying that's wrong. Also, I think that there are some churches that don't do that properly, and that's why people tend to do that. Is John saying it's wrong, or is he saying they're not even in the church? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of what, that's that. kind of that's kind of what a this is. He hates his brother still in darkness. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a that's a pretty serious mm-hmm. charge. Yeah. Any other thoughts before? Uh, Matthew 12, 46 talks about Jesus addressing a crowd. It says, just to, which kind of just relates back to how this is not a new gospel and how it, anyways, listen, sorry. Um, Matthew 12, 46 says, while he was still speaking, Jesus to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to a man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Mm-hmm. And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father is in heaven. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Mm-hmm. So he even makes the distinction like, between blood and oh, I love that. That's good. Thank you, Clay. Let's close in prayer. And, uh, Father in heaven, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, how clear it is. And I, I just pray that today that we would take this to heart and it would uh, it would affect our lives and uh, be quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. And just discern the thoughts and intents of our hearts mm-hmm. and how we're living and how we think about our brothers, how we think about walking in the light, and how we can be assured on the positive side that when we have made this decision to follow after you and imitate you and seek the light with each other and have fellowship with each other, that we could know that we know you and how beautiful it is to have that confidence and be ha- begin to have the love, your love perfected in us so that we have this confidence on the day of judgment. That as you are, so are we in this world. You see us as you see your son. That we can have that confidence that we are so abiding in you that we know we are saved. We know we are, have a fellowship with you. We know we're with you. And I pray, Lord, as we think about this, uh, this loving our brother thing, and see how important it is that we would take that also to heart and and move toward the light in that respect. I thank you for the hearts and the participation today and the attentiveness, Lord, and I pray that you would just bless each one as this work goes forth today. 
as it comes to our hearts and to our minds, mm -hmm. that we continue to be reminded of it and continue to uh, just be affected and changed by it, Lord. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.